Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith the prostitute... Now, just hold on a minute. How many of you expected to hear that? By faith the prostitute in church. Didn't think so. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Let's look at that story back in Joshua 2. Joshua chapter 2, the people of Israel are in the edge of the promised land. After 40 years of wandering, God's going to finally give them the land, but they first send spies into the land to figure out what's going on. And that's the story we have here. Joshua 2, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out upon the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And so this picture that is up on the screen is a picture I took in Jericho when we went to Israel and and if you go right there, you head toward the fords of the Jordan. That's going east. We'll come back to that. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God, in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell, us what, tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. So if you look to the left on this picture, you'll find the hills. So they're going the opposite direction. They're going west for a few days while the, the people that were seeking them out were going east. Then the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. 
Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills. By the way, those are the hills at the start of the Jericho road up to Jerusalem. So that's the Judean wilderness. They went up into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord surely has given the whole land into our hands, and all the people are melting in fear because of us. We conclude the reading of God's word there. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we come to explore this story, give us insight into what you want us to learn from it challenge us as to how you want us to live, especially in the face of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, we spent the day on Freedom Trail in Boston, which is in many ways a celebration of the American Revolution and its heroes. I like to visit sites and read books about American history and and those who stood up for our our freedoms, people like Washington and Jefferson and Paul Revere and so on. But we don't celebrate Benedict Arnold, who incidentally would have been a hero of the American Revolution had he not turned traitor. We don't celebrate traitors. Rather, we admire people who stand up for what is right, even against the world and at the price, perhaps, of their own life, like Nathan Hale. I regret that I have but one life to give from my country. But today, we're going to look at a traitor. We're going to look at the story of a person honored in Hebrews 11 who is actually a mixture of traitor and hero, Rahab of Jericho. Now, the book of Joshua reads sort of like a Revolutionary War history. It's a story of harsh conquests, God's wrath on the people of Canaan, and the destruction of the nations living in that land. But the very first story is about God's mercy and salvation of a prostitute, Rahab. Why Rahab? If you think about it, she had three strikes against her from the very start. First, she was a Gentile. As a Gentile, Rahab was outside of the covenant and the normal avenue for salvation in the Old Testament, which came through Israel. As we read earlier, Paul said to the Ephesians about their past, she also was a foreigner to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But not only was she a Gentile, she was also an Amorite a member of a nation, the Amorites, who had been particularly singled out by God for condemnation. All the way back in Genesis 15, in his covenant with Abraham, God had said, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. That's where we're at now when we get to Joshua. We'll come back here. Why? For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. You know, sometimes we look at these battles and, and the the conquest of of Canaan, and we think all those innocent people that God destroyed. No, he's talking about they had 400 years, the Amorites did, to build up their wickedness. And then God said, when I've had enough, that's when we're going to take them down. The Amorites were 
a disgustingly corrupt people with depraved religious practices that included child sacrifice. God had had it up to here with him. The time had come. And Rahab was an Amorite. And then on top of that, she was a prostitute. Now I know some scholars and, and some rabbis downplay her profession. They call her an innkeeper or, or something like that. But Joshua 2 clearly states she's a prostitute. Hebrews 11, James 2, verse 25, she was a prostitute. In fact, this was likely why the spies from Israel went to her house because it was maybe the least conspicuous place in the city because men are going to her house all the time. Foreigners were going to her, her house all of the time and people didn't, didn't think anything about it, didn't think spy. They had other thoughts, but they didn't think spy. Well, they were out to get information on Jericho, but in God's plan, they were also there to save Rahab. So why Rahab, this Gentile Amorite prostitute? Well, it's a reminder that it's not the righteous, but sinners Christ came to save. And thus, there's hope for us. That the grace of God reaches to the depths of our sinfulness. If he saves a Rahab, why not us? Rahab is an example of the fact that we are saved by grace and there's nothing we can do. Well, how did this Gentile prostitute come to faith in God? With all the strikes against her, she had one thing going for her, and that is that she had heard about God. And as Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes through hearing the message. World travelers would have frequented Rahab's establishment, and, and through the grapevine, Rahab heard about the acts of Israel's God. The word of God came into the house of prostitution. But it's not so important how she heard as how she responded. Because apparently all of Jericho had heard about the God of Israel. But there were two different reactions. The rest of the Amorites in Jericho responded with fear. They lost all courage. Their hearts were melting within them. They reacted with fear, but Rahab reacted with faith. I know that the Lord has given you this land, she says in verse 9. In verse 11, the Lord your God is God. That's about as eloquent a profession of faith as an Amorite, a Gentile, could give. Why did she come to faith? Ultimately, because faith is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. He opened her ears and her heart. And she responded by believing and submitting to God. So we can learn from this prostitute. Now there's another thing you didn't expect to hear. God, does God find us open and receptive to his word so that we believe and submit to his word and to him? Well, Rahab did. Without hesitation, Rahab put her faith to work. 
She didn't sit around and ponder the implications of faith. She simply acted on it to the point where she became a model of faith, both in Hebrews 11 and in James 2, verse 25, where she becomes a model of faith that works. Faith in action. Think about it. By faith, Rahab became a risk taker. She put her life on the line for Israel and for God. Jericho is a military outpost right at the edge, sitting at the very edge, the frontier of the land of Canaan. It was there to defend the land. And especially at a time when they're hearing these things about Israel and Israel's God and the fear and paranoia was growing, you can imagine she would have been a subject of tor- torture or death if the spies had been found at her place or if the king didn't believe her story. And yet she became a traitor. A traitor to her past, a traitor to her king and her city in order to be faithful to her new king, the God of Israel. She switches allegiances and not only protects the enemy, but actually gives Israel crucial military intelligence Their hearts are melting in fear because of what they've heard about God. William Barclay notes, at the moment she was speaking, there was not one chance in a million that the children of Israel could capture Jericho. These nomads from the desert had no artillery artillery or siege engines, yet Rahab believed and staked her whole future on the belief that God would make the impossible possible. By faith, she was a risk-taker. By faith, she was a traitor. But by faith, she also became an Israelite. Actually, she identified with Israel, I think, in three ways. First, in her kindness. In verse 12, she reminds the spies, I have shown kindness to you, so please show kindness to me. Now, that sounds like a rather innocuous statement. Until you understand the that the word she's using is hesed. It's a a word about God's loving kindness toward Israel, his covenantal love, which he showed to Israel, which Israelites were also to show to each other. And now she is saying, I want to show hesed to you. And she asked for that hesed in return. She's already acting like an Israelite. And in a sense, she's acting, emulating her new God as well. Secondly, she identifies with Israel in her salvation story. There's that scarlet cord hanging in the wall. And the scarlet cord was often talked about by the, by the church fathers in allegorical terms, as pointing to the blood of Christ. Now, allegory is not a very good way to interpret the Bible. And I'm not sure that God was specifically saying, that's the blood of Christ hanging there. Certainly not directly, but maybe, perhaps, indirectly. Because the the scarlet cord is kind of a, a remarkable parallel to Israel's salvation story 40 years earlier. When at the Passover, the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts and saved the people of Israel. 
And now another blood-red cord is, in a sense, on the entryway, the exit way, even though it's a window, of this person's house in order to save her. Is that what God had in mind? Don't know for sure. But if that's the intended reference here, then Rahab's story shows her awaiting salvation in a similar way that the people of Israel awaited salvation. She's identifying with Israel's salvation. And then if you want to go the next step, of course, the, the blood of the Lamb on the, at Passover also points ahead to the blood of Jesus. But of course, ultimately, she identifies with Israel through her legacy. If you look ahead at Joshua 6, verse 25, after the destruction of Jericho, we read, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And then this phrase, And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So we don't know exactly when the book of Joshua is written down, but it's years and years later because a lot has happened, all this, in, all this fighting in Canaan and the settlement of the land and many, many, many years. And the book, the book or Joshua says, and she still lives there. She still lives among the people of Israel. Now think about it. She could have said, well, you know, I scratched your back, you scratched mine. We're all square and gone off to live someplace else. But she had had, obviously, a true conversion. And she knew Israel was where she belonged. So she became a full member of Israel. Not a second-class citizen. We know from Scripture, from the book of Ruth, that she married Salmon and became the mother of Boaz, according to the genealogy. And the great-great-grandmother of King David. And, of course, from Matthew 1, she's also found in the genealogy of Jesus, one of his great-great-grandmothers. Well, how does this story relate to us? Well, in a sense, we're all Rahabs. We're all lost in sin, without hope and without God in the world. And we, too, are saved by grace, not by anything we do, through the death and resurrection of Rahab's descendant, Jesus. The question remains, will we now submit to his word and stand by faith against our world? He calls us to put our lives on the line, to join his people, the church, and to be a traitor to the ideals and the values of our culture. James Boyce says, we now live in an alien land between the moment of our commitment of faith and the moment of the final judgment, which will be the time of our full deliverance. In this important interim, we are to stand alone for God, as Rahab did, against the world. We are to be God's people in opposition to the surrounding godless culture. That's where we are, in the surrounding godless culture. The question is, where do we stand? With Rahab, opposed to the world, but sure of our salvation? Or do we just kind of lazily stand with the people of Jericho? You know, hey, these walls seem so secure. Our finances, our families, our career, our investments, our lifestyles. 
you know, the question may not seem to be to make a difference right now, but what will happen when the final trumpet sounds and the walls of the world come tumbling down around us? Then, to paraphrase Jesus' question, will the Son of Man find people of faith standing against the world and for him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Rahab and not only her role historically in your people, but but her role as an example for us to be just a reminder that you can save anyone, and it's not of our doing but yours. So we praise you for that, and we pray that we might have the courage that she had to stand against our culture when it's wrong, when it goes against your word, and when it goes against your values, to stand by faith in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond by standing together and singing the ends of all the earth shall hear, number 594, and lift up your hearts of the four verses. It will be on your screen. Let's stand and sing together. 